Let's now turn to our reading for today, which comes from Psalm 27. Psalm 27, the word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Our text comes from Psalm 27, verses 4 to 6. I'll read those verses again. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord."
beloved in the Lord. The root of our desire to come and join the people of God in worship is our great thanksgiving to our God. Through prayer and praise, we show our love for God who has made us his own. Through prayer and praise, we show our love for a God who has delivered us. The psalmist speaks of the men who desire to eat up his flesh in verse 1. This phrase, eat up his flesh, is a euphemism for slander, for those who plot against. God delivers us. There are men and women out there who hate us, who are filled with envy for us, and yet God provides us with rest in Him. God provides us with light and salvation. And we come to worship out of thanksgiving for that salvation. That salvation that He continues to work out for us. As we war with our sin and our own weaknesses. The psalmist, he knows that he must come to God in order to receive confidence as he deals with daily attacks from his enemies. We have this as well. We have people who hate us and backbite, but God offers us a refuge against this. We must trust on him to give us the justice we deserve. Most importantly, we need his refuge against the war in ourselves, the temptation we have to trust in our own strength, to fight our own battles in the work God has called us to. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He has promised to be our strength and our defender. The psalmist He knows the correct place to look in order to find strength in his life. He finds strength in the Lord in his worship. This psalm shows the great confidence that we can have when we live out of the fear of the Lord. The psalmist is boastful. Whom shall I fear when the Lord is on my side? Whom shall I be afraid of? God's on his side. We can really boast if we boast of the Lord. Think think of the Christians and, and you hear about them in the news being slaughtered by ISIS. Fearless in the face of persecution. How are they able to do that? And this comes from the fact that their boast is in the Lord, in his strength, and not their own. The psalmist has this confidence because he knows he has the favor of God. And he knows he has the favor of the Lord because he has sought the Lord in worship. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, bring a sacrifice of joy to the Lord. We bring a sacrifice of joy because of the favor of the Lord the rescue of the Lord or the deliverance of the Lord and the glory of the Lord.
David's confidence begins with his longing to be with the Lord. He is with the Lord, yes, but at the same time, he desires all the more the joy and the communion of being with the Lord tomorrow and the day after that, the day after that, and the day after that. All the days of his life. As he says in verse 8 of the same psalm, When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. David's confidence comes from the fact that he seeks the Lord and the Lord's will first in his life. We can think of Jesus' word. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. David has been in trouble. He has sought the Lord and the Lord has vindicated him. And here David pours out his heart in gratitude to the Lord. The Lord has shown him favor because he sought the Lord. He looked to the Lord for help. He believed the Lord's promises. David gives thanks with one wish. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David is using a metaphor here for the church. In this case, the house of Israel. The house of Israel is the Lord's house. God dwells among his people in the tabernacle. And the people of Israel, they're gathered around the tabernacle. And David, he wants to dwell where that favor is. But there is more here. By using this metaphor, David is expressing a wish for closer communion with Lord, with the Lord. A communion that he already has. A communion that can be infinitely deepened. A communion of peace and rest. One that must wait for the fullness in Jesus Christ. And even then... It looks forward to a greater fullness, the communion we will have with God in the new heavens and the new earth. When we go into that house, when we come into his house today, what do we see? We see the beauty of the Lord. David was likely thinking of the tabernacle. David could reflect on the beauty of the tabernacle that the Lord had commanded to be built with awe. Here, the Lord dwells among his people. So what is it to gaze on the beauty of the Lord? We can think of an awe-inspiring scene in the mountains, a picture of Banff, in Alberta, we can think of what it might like to, what it might be like to meet a Hollywood star. These are often physically perfect people, and who, at least in our minds, possess the power to excite and to inspire their audiences. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord, it's far greater than that. We can only approach Him. With a sense of awe. This is not only because of his great power. But because of his holiness. And his righteousness. 
And we know that we can only enjoy that beauty of the Lord because of our unity with Christ. That's what we see today. We see that in the preaching of the word. And the word, it points to the salvation we have in Christ. The word points to Christ crucified. We would not be able to bear that beauty. We would die before the holiness of God if he had not given himself as a sacrifice for our sake. As Hebrews says, his flesh is the veil We can come before God because we are in His flesh. Knowing the great things He has done for us, knowing the love and the care He shows to us day by day, only makes us desire to see Him and to be with Him. David not only desires the joy of seeing the beauty of the Lord, but he desires from the, to learn from his Lord. He longs to inquire into his temple. Now, the temple, it didn't exist at this time yet. But David could certainly inquire of the Lord through the high priest and the other faithful priests and Levites who served before the Lord at that time. He could also speak to the prophets From them he would find the will of God from his holy seat. His holy seat above the firmament, above the skies. The spiritual reality of the temple, which the temple on earth pointed to. He could seek them. The wisdom of the Lord from the explanation of the Bible he had, which at that time was the five books of Moses. We know them, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and perhaps even Joshua. David inquires of the Lord in order to learn wisdom. He wants to know how to follow the path that God desires. In verse 11, David calls on God to teach him God's way, the way of righteousness. The temple not only brings delight to the heart and to the soul of David. But in that delight, David is taught. He is instructed in the way that God wants him to live. Ultimately, David's longing for inquiry into the temple is given after David's death. The temple is built by David's son, Solomon. But even that temple, you know it's not the fullness God gives the fullness of the answer to this request long after David and Solomon have been buried. David didn't see fully. He could see something of the heavenly glories that God was beginning to reveal to a world that was under the power of sin and death. But he couldn't see the fullness. The fullness was in Jesus Christ. David's greater son. In Jesus Christ, God became incarnate. The Gospel of John says, He tabernacled among us. That means that He, Jesus, is the tabernacle, the place of worship in which we inquire, which we may come to, where we may see the face of God, where we may inquire into the wisdom of God. In Him, 
we see the beauty and the glory of the Father, the great love of the Father for mankind. What does First John say? You have been anointed by the Holy One, referring to the Holy Spirit, and now you know all things. Do you want this joy and confidence? A confidence to live trusting that your Father in Heaven will be your light and your salvation? Seek His face. That is, seek His salvation. Seek after His kingdom. Live by faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith will blossom Do the works of his kingdom. When we seek his face, David's desire becomes our desire as Christians, our greatest desire, that we should dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire into his sanctuary. Where do we see the greatest manifestation of God dwelling among us? in the weekly meeting of the Church of God, where Christians, all bearing Christ, meet with one another. The Apostle Paul says to the Christian, you are the temple. You, he means all of you. You are the temple of the living God. Christ meets with us in the preaching of the word, and we respond with sacrifices of thanksgiving, which in the New Testament, they're no longer animal sacrifices, but the prayers and the songs of the saints, that is, us. Our weekly worship, it's our lifeblood. We come to see the beauty of the Lord. We come to hear the wisdom of the Lord. We have the joy of communing in Christ. By the strength that Christ gives us, we are able to live week to week, delighting in the favor of God. The knowledge that we are right with God, that's a glorious thing. We sin against God. We all know that in our hearts. Our consciences, they speak against us. Too often, we love the things of this world more than our God. But when we seek his face, when we seek his mercy, he will answer wherever we are. He promises that he will be with you, Christian, in whatever situation. And that brings us to our second point, the rescue of the Lord. David's desire for the Lord, his communion with the Lord. The Lord's teaching and promises. They give him confidence as he goes out into a world where he has many enemies. And we know from our Bibles that David had a lot of enemies. Many more than your average person. Even before he became king, he had to deal with the king at that time, Saul. As well as those who were in league with Saul. He had to hide in caves and in the mountains. But ultimately... He knew he had to hide in Christ. 
After he became king, he had to deal with the internal divisions in the land of Israel. The north and the south, the tribes of Judah and Ephraim, they didn't get along. He had to deal with the rebellion of his own son, Absalom. And yet he knew that his God protected him. He didn't know when he would die. He didn't know if he would get caught. But he knew that God would keep his promises to him. Because he had the light of God, he could trust to keep a sure foot. More than that, the Lord would provide him a hiding place in himself. Even if he couldn't see, even if he was surrounded by his enemies, the Lord could hide him in his pavilion and the secret place of his tabernacle. He called on to the Lord to hide him with the certainty that one day he would be exalted by God. Now David, he never lived out this promise perfectly. He's a lot like us. He was not seeking the Lord when he committed adultery with Bathsheba or when he numbered the men of Israel in his pride later in life. At these times, he was trusting in himself. And the Lord didn't hide him. The Lord didn't keep him. But the Lord did come to him and drew the one whom he loved back to himself. Through his word, through trouble in David's life, the Lord called him back to himself. And that's a comfort for us too. It's only Christ who lived according to the promise of God perfectly. Only he trusted in God perfectly without straying. The Gospel of John in particular teaches us that he always desired the glory and the will of the Father first. He trusted in his Father to hold him and to keep him until the time of the cross. Remember his cry in Gethsemane, Your will be done. It was because of his perfection, his righteousness, that following David's sin, David could return back to God. It was because of his righteousness, Christ's righteousness, that David could hide in his Lord. David's words here are the words of every faithful Christian. Hide me in you, O Lord. As the Lord's Prayer puts it, deliver us from the evil one. There is a great benefit of being in Christ. We are hidden in him. We are protected from the attacks of sin and its master, the evil one. We have comfort. Our physical enemies, they may kill us, they may destroy us, but our souls are held by Christ, and he will vindicate us. We used to walk in darkness. We used to be without the light and salvation of Christ. Christ continues to call those who live in fear and darkness those who are subject to the attacks of sin, into his hiding place. Are you weary 
of the long days of work, hoping that someday you might receive financial stability? Are you weary of loneliness, of the anger, the envy, and the addictions that plague you? Are you weary of fighting with family and friends? Christ says, seek me and my righteousness. I will hide you in myself. Look for his light and his salvation. Then you need not fear anything. For Christ will give you the strength to seek after him. Do not neglect that seeking of the Lord. Every week we meet enemies. The devil has many tools that he uses to draw us away from Christ. Whether it is people we don't like, the attacks of our enemies, alcohol, pornography, bad friends, whether it's our addictions. Too often we love these things more than Christ. We may also be drawn away by what is good, work, family, other earthly goals. These are good until they become to us greater and more desirable than Christ. We must seek after God first. The author of Hebrews warns us, don't neglect meeting together as some do. We need to see his glory. We need to continually inquire and to learn from our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to come in thanksgiving for his continual work of salvation in our lives. We need communion with the body of Christ, his church, in order to strengthen us for the weekly struggle with the devil and his power. Out of that communion with Christ and his body comes the strength to remember him day by day. And every day we have access to his throne. He's God. He's always listening. He's always ready to give an answer through his word and spirit. He will protect you. But that protection, and that protection is for a purpose, glory, his glory. And you, you have the promise that you will share in that glory. By abiding in him, you are assured day by day that there will be an end to the attacks of the evil one. That by Christ's power, you will share in victory. That brings us to our third point, the glory of the Lord. In the last sentence of the fifth verse, the physical position of the psalmist changes. He has been hidden from his enemies. He's been protected by the Lord. But now he's set high upon a rock. His enemies can now see him, but they can't get to him. The first line of verse 6 repeats this. And now my head has been lifted up above my enemies all around. The Lord's protection is so great that David cannot be touched by his enemies. David is exalted. This in part refers to his kingship. God finally exalted David above his enemies when he made him king over Israel. Even more, this looks forward to the end of David's life and the end of every Christian's life. 
where the Christian will be brought into the courtroom of God. There he will be exalted, while the enemies of God, those who do not confess Christ, will be laid low. David sees that salvation in his life now, and therefore he brings sacrifices of joy to the tabernacle. He begins and ends with worship. He responds with joy to the great things God has done for him. He's ecstatic. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. David's exaltation, the exaltation of any Old Testament saint, David or Moses or Joshua, the exaltation of these imperfect men, they look forward to Christ's exaltation. It's only because of Christ that these imperfect men can be exalted by God in the first place. Christ is exalted by God and his Father puts all things under Christ's feet. He is lifted up above all his enemies all around him. This psalm is a promise that we too may be exalted in Christ. When we believe in Christ, when we trust in his word, we are freed from sin and death. That's the message of Paul in Romans. Death and sin, they can't touch us anymore in Christ. We are free from these things because we live by Christ. In Christ, we're lifted up above these enemies. And so what can we do except bring offerings of thanksgiving to him? Our very lives are to be a thanksgiving to him. Because we live by his life, because by faith we have died in his death. That's the promise of the gospel. Outside of Christ, there's trouble and darkness. Outside of him, there's something missing. There's dissatisfaction. This is because men and women, they're enslaved to sin. They're not able to do righteousness. And they live in the fear of death. In him. Glory. It isn't easy to follow him. The Christian's life is war. In the words of Mark, we are to take up our cross and follow him. This means a way of suffering. It's often easier to follow others. When Christians begin to stray from Christ, when they choose other gods, other things that they put first before Christ in their lives, they risk losing Christ. Remember this promise from Romans 8, neither death nor life nor powers or principalities nor any other created thing can ever separate me from the love of Christ. He has given you a great salvation. Therefore, come with joy to his temple, the church of God, and show your thankfulness to him in prayer and song and inquiring into his word. This is the great joy of the Christian, to commune with Christ, to enjoy his presence in our lives. Bring your sacrifices of joy to the Lord 
among his body, his church here today. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, both now and forevermore. Amen.